This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. This is the best bits of today's show from Tuesday, December the 6th. What have we got for you? Big focus on aviation this morning. New numbers out from IATA. We went straight to the source. Kashif Khalid has been speaking to Brandy Scott. Also been talking about some big trade deals doing the rounds at the moment for the UAE. We've got one with Ukraine that's been negotiated and we had the President Sheikh Mohammed in Doha over the past 24 hours talking trade with the Emir of Qatar. What else can I tell you? More aviation. This time, cargo. Sky Cargo, part of the Emirates Group, is launching a new shopping delivery service from the UK. We've been speaking to Dennis Lister, Vice President of Product and Business Development at Sky Cargo. Construction looming large at the moment. Those new rules and regulations for green buildings announced by His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid over the weekend. Loads of questions we've had about those. So we've got an expert in the studio, Dr. Anas Batao. He's from Heriot Watt University here in Dubai. And finally, talking about the FIFA World Cup, the economics thereof, for we are the business breakfast. A billion people watched the opening ceremony and the opening round of matches just in the Middle East and North Africa. So says Bein. That's the Kateri company that has the rights for the Middle East and North Africa. We wanted to find out more. So we spoke to the director of analytics and research, BN Media Group, Matthew Crisp. All that to come. But first up, let's dive straight into those IATA numbers. Lots of big stories that we're digesting this morning, including, Brandy, those IATA numbers that came out over the past 24 hours or so. So many different ways to slice and dice this. You've got the global numbers, you've got the regional numbers for passenger traffic, and then you've got cargo. You're very excited about this, aren't you? I'm excited that you went straight to the source to get the inside story. Well, this is what we are trained to do, man currently sitting in an economics exam whilst presenting a breakfast show. (laughs) True enough. So, we did. We have a primary source for these numbers, and that is Kashif Khaled, the Regional Director for the Middle East and Africa at IATA. The IATA numbers for October are out. They look at them year on year. Um, And what we have seen year on year is that October for 2022 is 45% up globally on October for 2021. What we really want to know, though, is what that means when you compare it to pre-pandemic levels 2019. So that's where we started this morning with Kashif. We're currently globally at 74.2% of um, uh, October 2019 levels. So globally, you know, we're nearly three-fourths the way there. Currently, we're still restricted by the lockdowns and closures in China. But overall, it's been a good picture in Asia Pacific with more markets opening up that has really lifted total uh, traffic now where it is today. Then we had a look at what's happening in Richard's slicing and dicing in the Middle East. Uh, 115% roughly uh, increase in passenger traffic. How have we managed to come in at about three times the rate of global growth? Believe it or not, most of this traffic is origin and destination traffic. So yes, we do have a lot of transfer traffic to and from the region. And even places such as Qatar, which traditionally rely on transfer traffic, have been witnessing a lot of origin and destination traffic as a result of the FIFA World Cup. In addition, for both the UAE and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, it is quite busy from a commercial perspective, lots of conferences and businesses looking at meetings back uh, face-to-face. So a lot of this traffic is uh, origin and destination as opposed to transfer traffic. But having said that, the European markets remain extremely strong. Typically, October tends to be a slow month. But for the winter season, we are seeing a lot of bookings coming in from Europe to Australasia, but also Europe to the Middle East region. And then, as I always say, connectivity into the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is, is also driving a lot of this growth in the Middle East region. Now, cargo, of course, is one of the big things that we look at here 
around the business breakfast. Nice big bellwether about what's moving around the world and how much we're spending money, basically, is what it tells us. 14% decline year on year. What does that tell us? Well, we've seen new export orders, um, which which is a key indicator of cargo, are shrinking in all markets except China and South Korea, which did register a slightly uh, higher increase. But also, again, that U.S. dollar as well as CPI in major markets is affecting uh, a, a demand as a result of high inflation rates, especially in Europe, where it's where it's as high as nearly eight percent, and in Asia Pacific, and especially the Indian subcontinent, where it's, uh, it varies between fourteen percent to almost twenty eight percent. But having said that, uh, we're all also seeing a lot of capacity uh, being replaced from cargo to passenger. And as more airlines start adding those those passenger uh, frequencies, cargo is sort of taking a back seat for many of the uh, members over here. So how do we put that in context of the global economy? I mean, we're still seeing growth, but at a marginal pace compared to previous months or previous years. I wouldn't say that cargo is becoming stagnant, but A, we're being affected as a result of uh, Europe's performance in the region, but also capacity being decreased by many of our members, as well as the conflicts that we're seeing in Eastern Europe, which is affecting a lot of the East-West trade flows. And that is Kasia Khaled, Regional Director for IATA, Middle East, Africa. Lots of trade stories involving the UAE at the moment. Yesterday we had the President, His Highness Sheikh Mohammed, in Doha. Discussions with the Emir of Qatar, His Highness Sheikh Tamim. They discussed a range of issues, including, of course, the FIFA World Cup. Clearly, <laughs> You couldn't avoid that over their luncheon. But they also talked about stuff that's of interest to the business breakfast because this is what the official news agency, WAM, is reporting. They talked about issues that would boost prosperity in both countries and serve their common interests across economic, investment and trade areas. Now, we don't have specifics on that, but if those trade ties are boosted to powerhouse economies in the region, you would imagine it could be only a good thing for Mm -hmm. businesses based here in the UAE. The other trade deal being discussed yesterday was with Ukraine. So you had... Dr. Thani Al-Zayudi, who's the UAE Minister of State for Foreign Trade in Dubai in talks with his counterpart from Ukraine. They haven't signed a trade deal yet, but they're looking at signing one next year. We've been getting the thoughts of Jean Walters, economist at Emirates MBD. The UAE is to begin talks with Ukraine with the aim of agreeing an economic deal to increase trade between the two nations. The talks are important from a food security perspective, with Ukraine historically being an important source of grains for the Middle East. In 2001, the two countries had roughly 900 million USD in bilateral trade, but the war in Ukraine has meant this has fallen off into 2022. The UAE's role as a global trade hub means that any such deal could facilitate easier transit of grains into other MENA markets. This agreement is part of a wider strategy for targeting trade growth, with talks also underway or deals already signed with countries such as India, Turkey and Israel. John Walters of Emirates MBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Let's have a chat about something that's going to launch today. In the studio, ahead of the launch of a new delivery service to and from the UK, we're very pleased to be speaking to the Sky Cargo Vice President of Product and Business Development, Dennis Lister. Dennis, it's lovely to see you. Thanks for coming. Good morning. So tell me exactly what it is that you're launching today. So it's really about, Brandy, it's really about connecting the uh, UAE consumers to the UK retailers. And it's about consolidation, consolidation, consolidation. It's about really getting those items consolidated for multitude of retailers in the UK and having that delivered to our customers here in Dubai within about three to five days. Okay, so when you say consolidation, you're yes. meaning? 
So this means basically, normally if you order something online, you typically buy one thing from one retailer. And basically what we're allowing you to do now is order from a multitude of retailers, and we will then consolidate those items for you. So you can, also, you can order from three or five retailers, have that delivered to a fulfillment center in, in, in the UK. We consolidate that for you and have it shipped to you in your house here in the UAE. And at the other end, how are you getting it to me? I mean, you're an airline. I can see how you're getting it right. from A to B. But that last mile bit, isn't necessarily your, wheel, your wheelhouse. So you mean, so it's the first mile. It's a great question because typically what you do if you are, think about this. What we do is actually provide you with a UK shipping address. So that allows you to order your stuff in the UK and then we have that delivered to that UK shipping address mm-hmm. that we give to you. So that we utilize the the likes of the retailers, local delivery in market, and that's delivered in than one, so one to two days and then that gets delivered into the fulfillment center in the UK. But once it's here... I mean, I can totally understand why um, Emirates is is doing the cargo bit of it, but have you put together your own fleet of people on bikes? We have not. We actually use – I think the whole thing is if you look at the end-to-end supply chain in logistics, you typically connect with partners. So we use partners here in Dubai. We use partners in the UK. So it's really connecting the first, the mid-mile, and then the final mile in Dubai. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to compete with the Aramexes and the DHLs? So, again, good question. But if you look at, if you just look at the e-commerce market here in the UAE, in 2019, it was the value of about $2.6 billion. And then you look at 2021, it jumped to $4.8 billion. It's forecasted to hit $9.2 billion by 26. And what, you figured that you had the planes anyway? No, we have to get into it. And the reality is we do have the planes, right? We have the assets already, and therefore it's about us. If we can fly 80 million passengers around the world, why can't we fly 80 million packages around the world? But you are flying those packages around the world. You just want, what, a bigger piece of that pie? Yeah, completely. Why not? I think, you know, competition's good. And... If you look at this market, it's completely fragmented. There are so many different players in this market. I would argue that probably in the region of a 60% of the CEP, which is the Koori Express parcel business, is completely fragmented. There's definitely space for more, more entrance into the market, essentially providing a gold standard for customers that want parcels delivered quickly and connecting to any country in the world. Okay, so how and why can you do it better? Because I believe Emirates do provide a gold standard anyway. And the fact is we're actually utilizing our passenger fleet, our passenger network, where we have, in some cases, five, six flights a day coming in from the UK. How does the cost stack up? The cost stacks up. So I think we're very competitive. So if you look at our competitors or the peers within the region, within the market, I would argue that we're the best in the market today. You've already launched this service for the... US, the Emirates Delivers service that you're launching from the UK today. Um, What kind of uptick have you seen there? So we've seen, particularly through COVID, quite a large uptick. And I think COVID had a great impact. If you look at the high streets, particularly in the UK and in the US, US, they have declined massively because people have been buying online. So particularly through COVID, we've seen a massive surge in people buying online. Why? People couldn't travel. They couldn't fly out. And there's been massive restrictions on capacity. So the demand has picked up. And I don't think it's back down. I think people continue to buy online. How far or how big could this get for you? US, UK, where else? Well, I think it's a small start. I mean, we've been slightly distracted with COVID. We've had to get our planes in the sky to be carrying cargo through COVID, and that's been a very exciting time for us. But I do think that this will definitely continue for us. I think the strategy for us is how do we get to the next 20 destinations, the next 20 origins for consumers globally? Which destinations are those likely to be? Quite easily, I would say we have to target the Middle East. So definitely looking at the likes of Saudi. We're looking at Africa, the Indian subcontinent as destination markets. 
how much of the traffic do you see going from here to the UK rather than just that, that UK shopping to here? It's a good question. The majority of your CEP market predominantly comes from the likes of the US, the UK and China. These are the big driving markets. I'd argue there is reverse going back for some sort of boutique stuff feeding back in from the Middle East into the UK, into the US and into China. But majority of the stuff feeds in from those markets into the UAE and into this, into this catchment area. How dynamic are your prices going to be? I mean, you guys obviously will have uh, a lot of um, insight into plane loads, fuel prices and, and, and everything else. How, how, how often, how, how much are you going to adjust those prices? So our fingers are very much on the pulse because we do definitely have the fleet, the line haul, which is the majority of the cost, if you think about it. So um, I would say we have to be careful about being too dynamic, although the market is fairly volatile. We have to be consistent in what we do, although when capacity does dry up, obviously prices will pick up because you've got to pay top dollar to get onto the aircraft if capacity is uh, scarce. Mm-hmm. Um, so the intention for us is to try and stabilize the prices as much as we can, because we have to ensure that consumers have a pretty good idea of what they're going to be paying when the stuff arrives here in Dubai. Could you pick up the last mile stuff yourself? And I say that because as a, a customer who's not unfamiliar with online shopping, that's good. the most annoying bit. You go and you put your address in and all the rest of it, you stick the pin on the map and then you get the WhatsApp message saying, can you tell us where your location is and can you drop us a pin? And you do. Um, And then sometimes you have to go into an app and drop the pin again and then someone phones you to say, can you tell me where your location is and can you send me a pin? And you think, really? So I think the if you get anything delivered from Emirates today, it's an Emirates van that turns up. So we, I think the partners are important and it's really key that you don't try and you need to try and operate in an asset light model. I think that's quite essential. The issue is if you try and draw too much cost and too many f- fixed assets, it can create a problem in terms of cost. Rather utilize the experts that are good at doing this for a multitude of different entities within the region. So us delivering to you, you will still get an Emirates experience. You'll get an Emirates van that turns up, although we do use partners to do that for you. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Business Breakfast. Before we let you go, we're speaking to Kashif Khalid from IATA. Next. Um, And one of the things we're talking about is the fact that globally, um, for uh, the last month, they have seen cargo volumes down um, by about 14 and a bit percent. What are you seeing? It's very simple for me. You've got to just wind the clock back pre-COVID. So 2019, we're still better than 2019 numbers. When you go into COVID, we had phenomenal performance. We closed to 2.1 million tons last year's Emirates. So the freight business was enormous, and we contributed more than 40% of the total revenue for cargo. So my view is we're still doing better than pre-COVID, and we'll continue to, continue to monitor. But my view is positive. The outlook looks good for us from an Emirates standpoint. Dennis Lister is Vice President for Product and Business Development at Sky Cargo from Emirates. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Now let's talk about construction. Big changes over the weekend from His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid. New green building rules, not just for buildings, but also for infrastructure as well. Joining us in the studio to give us some insights on this is Dr. Anas Batau. Who's he? He's with Heriot Watt University here in Dubai. He's the director, Centre of Excellence in Smart Construction. Good morning, Dr. Anas. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Richard. Thank you for having me. First of all, first impressions when you saw these new rules and regulations. First of all, it did come as a surprise. This is part of a long-term roadmap that the the government has. It has been part of a a number of announcements and achievements that the government has has been doing for the past, I'd I'd say since 2010, ever since the launch of Istidama. 
So remind us what Istidama is. So Istidama is basically a rating um, a certification for, for buildings. Um, you'd have to get at least one pearl uh, for, for buildings. And, and this has been enforced since 2010 in Abu Dhabi. Um, and it's really just to drive sustainability within within buildings and construction in general. Well, you say enforced because my understanding was it, it was optional. You can go for the, the Istadama rating system is, you know, you can get, it, 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 you know, gold, silver, bronze or many, many pearls. But it was optional. You don't have to have an Istadama rating, do you? Or you do? As a minimum, one pearl for, for, for certain buildings. And if, if it's a villa, it's two, two pearls that you, 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 you should get for, for during construction. So that is mandatory. Okay, but that's just for Abu Dhabi. Just for Abu Dhabi. Yeah. This is federal, isn't it? This, this is, is the federal. UAE. This covers Amal Quain and Fajera and everywhere. Absolutely. We've asked a couple of people, is this a game changer or not? We've had mixed responses. Some say yes, some say no. What's your view? I would say it's definitely a game changer. Uh, I, again, it's, it's part of a number of other initiatives that has been launched and, and announced. This is a game changer for, for people like myself in, in the construction industry and, and, and buildings. The reason why I say this is because this is mainly focuses on, on water consumption, energy consumption, and even when it comes to sustainable material and our carbon emissions in buildings. So there is quite a drastic change. And hopefully we'll see the, 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 this change being driven across the industry as well. The great and the good of the construction industry are in Dubai at the moment. The Big Five is happening. It's a massive event for, for your sector. And the question that we often get asked is, OK, it's all well and good going green, but it's going to be more expensive. Margins in construction are wafer thin. We just can't afford to do this. We, we hear this often. What's your response to that? Absolutely. This is something we were discussing during COP27. And I know this is going to be something, one of the topics that we're going to be focused on in COP28, hopefully. It, it's it, the construction industry needs to change. And when I say change, not just to be sustainable. Sustainability is not just about environmental either. It's it's about financials as well. It's about having the right economies in place. The reason why I say this is because we need to change the way we look at pricing within the construction industry. What I mean by that is capex versus opex. People that say it's going to be expensive to be to be sustainable or green, they're just looking at the capex at the moment. They're not looking at the opex. Opex is basically the operating expenditure. And, and, and most of the time when, when, when you do talk to people and they talk about more uh, sustainability being more expensive, they're referring to the capital expenditure, which is how much is going to cost me to build that building. They're not thinking about how much will it cost me to operate it. And that's when that, that mindset changes and that financial model changes, then we'll see the, the change towards more sustainable buildings. Well, I've spent a bit of time in your campus lately, Harriet Watt here in Dubai. It's only a 10-minute walk from our studio sure. here in Media City. It's a lovely building, and you walk in, and there's a sign on the... And it's a new building. There's a sign on the wall saying, LEED Gold Certified, and LEED is a, a global right. green building code. How much of a premium would you have to pay to get a LEED Gold certified building or, or any other certification as opposed to just a commoner garden building with concrete? It all depends on your goals as, 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 as an asset owner. Um, it, it wouldn't, you wouldn't see it as, as a, a, a costly um, process to, to achieve. Um, but I mean, is, is it like, is it, is it 1% more? Is it 10% more? Is it 20% more in terms of the capital expenditure to build it? to get like a LEED Gold certification or something like this? It's it definitely an extra cost, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be an eye-watering 
um, costs towards towards the building. And again, because if, if you are an asset operator and owner, it you wouldn't see that. So we within the university and the campus, we didn't see that as this is how much it's going to cost me during the capex because we weren't thinking about that. We were thinking about it from an operation perspective. And that definitely. I thought your CFO was thinking about the capex because yeah. chief financial officers do. Absolutely. And you could, you could sit down in a meeting and say, oh, well, yeah, but OPEX is going to be a lot lower. And over 15 years, that's great. But the financial officer's got to write the check in the short term. And, and that is often an issue, is it not? It's a mindset that we see changing. Uh, there's a lot of CFOs that I know have, have changed towards thinking about the, the long term, especially if they know they're going to be operating the building. Yes, you'll see the... The, the different developers out there that would be mainly focusing on the capex and they will look into that as as you said I, I would not pay why would i pay extra for, for someone else to, to make these savings but now with these different mandates that are coming in place hopefully that will drive that change even if you're not doing even if you're not looking after the opex but and that's fine for an, an enlightened company like Harriet Watt University Dubai, construction's in your blood, you live and breathe the stuff, I get it. But if you're just sticking up a three-storey apartment block in Fujairah, is there, does anyone care? Without regulations, uh, without these kind of policies, and without financial models such as the green bonds and etc., yes, that'd be, that'd be difficult for someone to make that decision to say, I want to be green, yes. And by the way, End users are driving towards that as well. The end users are driving towards more sustainable buildings, greener buildings, etc. Even if it does cost them a little bit more to live in there. Great talk to you. Appreciate your time this morning. Pleasure. Dr. Anas Patau is the director of the Centre of Excellence in Smart Construction at Harriet Watt University here in Dubai. Short walk to work for you this morning. Yep. <laughs> Enjoy Thank yourself. You. Thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we're talking about the economics of the FIFA World Cup. Look who we are. We are the dreamers, we make it happen, cause we can see it. Here's to the ones that keep the passion, respect, oh yeah. That is the South Korean heartthrob Jung-hook singing at the opening ceremony in Doha a couple of weeks ago. Let's talk about TV viewership. Matthew Crisp is Director of Analytics and Research at BN Media Group. BN, of course, has the rights for the FIFA World Cup here in this region. He joins us now live on the line. Matthew, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Richard. Thanks for having me here. So, being, to all your listeners. <laughs> BN Sports revealing that its mean of viewership has exceeded a billion for the opening ceremony where we heard Jung-hook singing there. Tell us, first of all, how you know that and tell us who's watching. Yeah, I know. Um, first, uh, more than a billion viewers for the first round of games, the so 16 games and including the opening ceremony, uh, more than 115 million people across the region watching that opening ceremony and first game, uh, Qatar playing Senegal. So look, um, we, we research right across the region, uh, every single game all the way throughout the year, uh, trying to understand viewership, trying to find out what our fans are interested in so we can serve the absolute best coverage uh, of all of our leagues and, of course, of this FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. And uh, it's just so exciting to see the work that's been gone, uh, put in into the broadcast uh, delivering these uh, record-breaking numbers. And I can update you, Richard, that uh, at the end of the group stage, we'd surpassed 3.5 billion views for this tournament. How do you measure that, Matthew? Um, so we conduct uh, survey research uh, every every day uh, after each of these games uh, right across the region, nationally uh, representative sample, and we uh, ask uh, which matches they have watched in the previous uh, couple of days. Then that uh, data, the responses from those uh, respondents is basically then uh, 
weighted for the rest of the region and calculated to give us those numbers. We've been doing this research uh, for more than four years to make sure that we have a consistent way of understanding audiences. And we use it right across our business and, and uh, commercial applications to, uh, to inform decision making. Let's talk about the games that have proved popular and the teams that are proving popular. It surprised me that the biggest game in terms of audience so far was Argentina against Australia. Is that still the case? Yeah, I mean, we, we don't have the numbers from last night. I wonder if Brazil might have surpassed that uh, yesterday. And, and I think certainly tonight, uh, Morocco playing Spain uh, is extremely likely, given that's the, the regional team that's made it through uh, to the knockout stages. Um, that, that game will probably surpass the, the Argentina-Australia game. But yes, Argentina being one of the biggest uh, teams when it comes to viewing uh, throughout the, re- the tournament. And obviously the first game uh, with uh, KSA, where we had this amazing upset and delivered uh, record-breaking numbers as well. So so yes, Argentina is very popular and, and it's not no surprise that their first knockout game was the highest viewership. So which teams are proving popular? Is it the, the, the ones, the obvious ones that we would think of, Brazil and Argentina, world champions France, for example, or are there some surprises in there? I think um, in terms of the top three teams, Brazil, Argentina, and interestingly, Germany. Uh, I wasn't expecting, especially with uh, some of the some of the uh, the negative coverage around their, their opening match protests. I wasn't expecting them to garner such a huge uh, viewership this time. Um, but what, what's really exciting to see the, the local teams coming through. So first time ever we've had five uh, teams from the region qualifying uh, through to the, the group stage of, of the FIFA World Cup. And uh, for all of those games to be uh, generating almost a third of the viewership um, is, is really exciting for us. And, and obviously we've, we've put in, as being sports, an amazing array of coverage to really grow uh, that viewership. Uh, we wanted to highlight the story of football uh, from those five teams and, of course, the story of football here in Qatar uh, as, we, as we host this tournament for the first time. The coverage has been, been outstanding uh, and I can, I can tell you a bit more about how we've brought this tournament to life. Well, talk to me about advertising revenue because one of the you have many different channels of revenue one of course is subscriptions and i am one of your subscribers so i'm paying my, oh, month, my, my monthly subs but advertising of course is is one of them as well what have these viewing figures done for advertising yeah look uh, we announced a new partnership with the saudi media corporation um a month or so ago and i think that's been key uh, in how we've brought these these um viewership uh, figures to life and, and, and obviously um driving revenues for our business and the world cup is a, is a key a key event uh, for us the biggest event uh, by far in terms of driving advertising revenues we sell sponsorships uh, to key brands uh, in this region and then uh, in addition to that um, saudi media corporation sells uh, spot buys uh, to to a whole lot of other brands and uh, of course one of the things we need to do is try to estimate how much of your there will be and i think this tournament has surpassed all expectations we're more than w- much more than double the viewership at this stage of the uh, the 2018 World Cup in Russia, I think. So it's been a, a, an incredible opportunity for us to, to grow advertising revenues, to grow our business uh, in this region. Finally, to what extent are the people watching, people like me, who just had a B in subscription anyway, because I like my football, I'm a Premier League, and it's fine. It's just one of those things that you've got to have. Wife says, why do we need all these subscriptions? you just got to have the football. Fine. And there's people like me. And to what extent is it of people who've just bought the subscription for the World Cup and then will end it on the 19th of December? 
Well, look, um, we offer uh, being, uh, being sports across a couple of different distribution platforms. So we have our IPTV deals in, in the UAE and uh, Qatar with the likes of Do and Tizla and Uridu. Um, we have a satellite business um, right across the region. And of course, that's experienced a significant uptick in, in subscriptions because of this tournament. Our strategy is to... When you say a significant to, uptick, can you, can, you, can you quantify that for me? The yeah, it's sort of 20, 20 to 30% increase in subscribers uh, from this region. Um, but we also, uh, our, our model is basically to add the subscription to the World Cup on top of that. So, you know, more than 80% of being subscribers in the region have opted to add this subscription uh, to their main package of, of sports. Um, and obviously that's that's a, a key driver of the revenues for us. And then, of course, we launched our streaming service, Todd, uh, in January. And that is the official streaming platform of the FIFA World Cup. Um, and that platform has surpassed all of our expectations in terms of driving acquisition of subscribers. Um, and and uh, many of those uh, are, are coming actually from the UAE and uh, Saudi Arabia uh, as well and, and right across the region um, to, to watch uh, the coverage. And in, in the first time that we were offered a streaming service of this scale and this quality to watch the World Cup. Matthew, great talk to you. Appreciate your insights this morning. Thanks for getting up early to share those with us. I'll let you get back to work. Busy time for you. Matthew Crisp is Director of Analytics and Research at BN Media Group, talking about World Cup viewership figures. Unsurprisingly strong here in the Middle East, given that it's held here in the Middle East. (laughs) You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.